So, uh, boy, that worship team, we could tell you uh, put in so much practice for the concert because it was really a beautiful expression of worship this morning. Can we celebrate our worship team one more time? So I was thinking about this story for our message this morning, and I'm pretty sure I was in uh, middle school. And uh, something happened. I don't remember. I think it was a close friend of the family. There was an incident, and my mom shared it with us. I think it was only my sister and myself, my older sister. And so my dad must have been at work. My brother was probably causing trouble somewhere, right? That was our typical time. And so my mom said, Can we, we need to pray together. And honestly, we didn't pray tons together as a family, mostly meals and at church. But this was such an important uh, incident to my, in my mom's mind, she wanted us to pray. So we sat together and we were praying together. And I remember my mom praying with this intensity. And then all of a sudden, she started praying, and it was a little bit more under her breath, but it was a different language. I didn't recognize how she was praying. And so being the mature middle schooler, I was like... And my sister looked up and she started giggling at my reaction. And so later, as I would ask my mom about that, she explained that that was a spiritual gift, that it was a a prayer language that God had given her, especially for those moments of crisis and intensity. And that was my first experience of of anything quite like that. I didn't know, I didn't really have anything to connect that to in understanding. So it created a lot of questions in me. But part of my questions was this, that it it turned out that this prayer language was such an important part of my mom's faith and walk with Jesus, and yet... I heard nothing about that in the place that I was supposed to learn about the faith, our church. I'd never heard anyone practice it. I'd never even mentioned, not that I was fully paying attention when I was in middle school, but, but I'd never heard the mention of spiritual gifts. It, it, there was just kind of an, an absence of this idea, and so that created even more questions in me. How could this be so important and central in my mom's life, that it was important in a relationship with the Lord, and yet be so absent from our church? I didn't quite get it or understand it. We have a teaching team um, that uh, some of you may know about that. We have a few of our leaders uh, elders, um, that we, we talk and pray about the, the series um, for which we think the Lord is leading us. Lord, our basic question is, Holy Spirit, what do you want to say to this congregation? So when I started kicking around this idea of gifted, I said, what do you think the questions that our congregation might have about spiritual gifts? And I 
couldn't record all of them. They, They recorded all of them, but I just had some pieces about spiritual gift. And here were some of the questions. Does everyone have a spiritual gift, or how do you know what, a gift, what gift you have? How do, a gift, how do I get a spiritual gift? Do I just get zapped? Or is it something that I grow in, or both? How does a spiritual gift look different from the fruit of the Spirit, or just a talent or a skill that's developed? That's a pretty good question, don't you think? Are some of the gifts more important than others? Can you use good gifts in bad ways? How about tongues? What's up with that? Have they ceased? Some of us have heard teaching that tongues have ceased. Um, Is it for everyone? If you're baptized in the Spirit, first, what's that? And then is the tongues the sign of the gift? Some have been taught that. A lot of questions. How do we define tongues? In fact, how do we define all of the gifts? How do we understand that? A lot of questions. How do we use it? Is it supposed to have a role on a Sunday morning or in our family times of prayer or in our relationships or in our... Uh, small groups and KLCs or with non-Christians, do we ever use gifts with non-Christians? Those are a lot of questions, right? And I thought, yeah, maybe it's a good time that we wade into some of these questions. I have a deep conviction that spiritual gifts are meant to be a vital part of our lives and our community of faith, that, that they're meant to be, that, that God in his providence, some of the best part of the Christian faith is that he not only knows us and loves us and invites us into a saving relationship with us, but he has plans and purposes for each one of us. And, and in his providence, he says, you know, I'm going to place these desires in Jessica's heart. And I'm going to put, I'm going to give her this ministry. And guess what? I'm going to equip and call and give her skills and abilities and gifts, spiritual gifts, to fulfill the purposes that I have for her. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that part? And yet, if we miss this concept of spiritual gifts, we're missing this essential resource that God has for us to live his purposes in our day. That's like doing ministry with our hands tied behind our back, right? We're saying, no, 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 I, you know, I, I've done that, but I, I, don't, I really want to step away from this, but I'll, I'll still follow you, God, but I... Not with the, the gift stuff. In fact, I have this deep conviction that spiritual gifts both bring a greater intimacy with the Lord, a love for the Lord, an appreciation of the Lord, and also a greater effectiveness of the body of Christ and us in fulfilling his purposes. Even though there's a lot of questions Even though history would tell us, scripture would tell us, there's a lot of ways to go sideways when we press into spiritual gifts. It's worth pressing into all that God has for us. 
I thought this morning we would just do a little bit of introduction. I know that we are coming and approaching this from all different places. Some of you have never heard of spiritual gifts, okay? Some of you have been wounded in the past by things done in the spirit, right? Or, or, or they were claimed to be done in the spirit. So we've got a, a wide breadth of what we come here. So this morning, what I'd like to do is just build a little bit of a foundation for our series. Can we do that? Would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12? In fact, for, uh, for communion, I was reading from 1 Corinthians 11, where Paul said, you're doing it wrong. He was saying to the, the Corinthian church, you're doing the holy sacrament wrong. Guess what he's going to say regarding spiritual gifts? You're doing it wrong, right? Unfortunately, they were, there was an abundance of spiritual gifts. They were happening and they were thriving in that. And yet Paul is going to say, no, you, you guys are, you're making it about status and individual. You're handling it just like the table in selfishness, right? You're handling them wrong. Don't do that. No, you're, you're missing the value of this. It was unfortunate for the Corinthian church. It's fortunate for us because now we have three chapters of Paul going, listen, <laughs> let's rein it in here. All right, let's bring together, let's be thoughtful about this, all right? You're doing more harm than good. I'm paraphrasing here, right? He actually says much worse things, right? So, so, so what I thought, we're going to actually uh, look at pieces over this series of not only 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 and 14, but we're also going to look at, there's other places that he speaks about spiritual gifts that the apostles do in much more positive terms, right? So we don't want to neglect those good ways, but we do want to learn from even the hard ones. And this one isn't too hard. He's just setting it up. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, now about spiritual gifts of, uh, now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed, all right? He doesn't want us to be ignorant. That's the original uh, New King James Version. He doesn't want us to miss. He, he doesn't want us to lack understanding. He, want, he, he doesn't want us to neglect these things and never talk about them. He's saying, I'm going to speak into this subject, especially, now this assumes, oftentimes with Paul's epistles, his letters, that he received either a letter or, or a, a report from a, a fellow believer that said, hey, this and this and that is going on in the church of Ephesus. For the Corinthian church, they were saying, hey, Lord's table, not good, Right? Um, uh, spiritual gifts, not good, right? So he's responding. He's like, I don't, you can't stay in this place. You, meet, you need to be informed. Let me teach you. Let me lay some groundworks. Verse two, you know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, 
you were uh, influenced and led astray by two mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Verse 4, there are different kinds of gifts out of the same Spirit uh, distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them, in everyone, it is the same God at work. God bless you, Mike. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. We're just going to pause on those few verses right there. Look again with me at verse 2 and 3, and he talks about, he reflects on when they were non-Christians, they followed somehow mute idols. Why does he reference that? People aren't really sure. Scholars aren't for sure, but probably what he's saying is um, there was an old way of doing things. You were following what you thought the gods were doing. What you just impulse and without, and he says, "Uh uh-uh. This is a new way of life. This is a new way of handling all things spiritual. Okay? Secondly, he says, now think about it. He reasons with them a little bit. He says, Think about, you, you can't say Jesus is Lord if it's not by the Holy Spirit and vice versa. There's a good chance, many scholars think that some maybe wrote a letter and say, Paul, the, the, the spiritual gifts, they are crazy, they're going nuts, we're going, we should just get rid of the whole deal, right? In fact, there's evidence in the Thessalonica church, he says, don't treat prophecies with contempt, they might have been tempted too. And maybe the leadership was saying, hey, this is, this is out of hand. Let's step away from prophecies. and talk. No, 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 let's just preach the word and, and worship. He said, no, 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 this is not evil. This is not from the enemy. This isn't like your idolatry days, right, where, where the enemy and false gods, demonic, was driving this activity. I've heard preachers preach that speaking in tongues is of the devil. It is not, right? That, that this is of God. These are good things that God is making available to his people. I'd say what Paul, as I read that verse 3, I think Paul is introducing this idea of testing, of thinking about, I would call it the Jesus test, right? When you're dealing in spiritual gifts or things of the Spirit, there is a level of subjectivity, If you disagree with me scripturally, we can turn to the scripture and we can look at that and say, well, I I understand this, right? Not this principle of interpretation, right? We can wrestle with that, right? If I say the spirit told me, we can't do that in an objective way, can we? Like we can with the word. 
So because of that, Paul is going to say throughout his letters, he's going to say, we need to test. There's some unhealthy things that will happen. We need to process together. In fact, in Thessalonians, Thessalonians, he's going to say, test everything and hold on to the good, which means there's going to be some bad stuff. We're going to miss it from time to time. We need to provide some testing, some humility before the Lord. All right? This is that, that idea of the Jesus test. I, th- I think it's applicable in, in this way. One of the things I, I do personally is when there's activity being done in the spirit or, or claiming to be in the spirit, I ask this question, do I see that in the life of Jesus? Do I see that in the life of the early church and the apostles? So I, I like that we're doing this series after Acts. We can see that, okay? It, it's, that it's that test that's there. Um, Jesus, uh, Paul said this, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That's 1 Corinthians 11, 1. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Hold what you're doing. Hold what you're practicing and compare it to the life of Christ, to the life of the early apostles. Let me give you an example. So I had a friend at work when I was in social work and and, and he was from a Pentecostal church. I really liked the friend. We would pray together at work and so they were having revival meetings at their church. I was a part of a reformed church. We never had revival meetings. I'm like, okay, I'll go, right? And they had a missionary, and he's coming out, and he preached a good word. There was worship. It was midweek service. There was worship. He preached a, a really good word, I thought, and then he invites people to be prayed for, and I'm like, this is great. This is awesome. Yeah, that's good. And, and I was thinking about, should I go forward to be prayed for? Well, then he starts going down the line, and he starts praying, And people started getting overwhelmed with the Spirit and falling back. I was okay with that. I've been overwhelmed with the Spirit where maybe I haven't fallen back, but I've laid down, I'll sit down, something along those lines. But then the missionary, when, when people weren't responding the way that he wanted them to, he started going, And he started to put his hand on, and he started to push back. And sometimes people would come and no, and then, and then he started getting louder and louder. And I'm like, do I see that in the life of Christ and the early apostles? Yeah, I, I, I don't see that. Right? I, it felt like it, it crossed a line for me that started to feel a little bit more fleshly than spiritual. And I'm starting, and, and that, was, that was early, uh, many years ago, and it's saying, yes, I need to use discernment. All things done in the name of the Spirit aren't of the Spirit. I went to a, 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 a gathering of an evangelist, a revivalist, I won't name his name, um, and um, the, he's somewhat controversial, <coughs> and I went during the day, 
And actually, again, worship was beautiful. He, he taught a, a good word. And then he had us all standing, and he's just praying, and he's, and he's having the music. And I just was experiencing um, the presence of the Lord. And then all of a sudden, this was after, I don't know, seven, eight minutes of us just kind of resting in the presence of the Lord. He said, fire upon you. And I fell back in my seat. But not because of the Holy Spirit. I fell back in my seat because he yelled in the microphone. Right? I wasn't okay with that. I was like, that was fleshly and that was somewhat manipulation. And I thought, that's, that's not what I long for. I, I long for a, a genuine work of the Spirit that... I'm willing to wait for it and, and be patient and, and test. And I'm, I'm not going to set up these expectations for an experience. And if that doesn't happen, then we're all disappointed. No. Then be prepared to be disappointed because we're going to wait on the Lord. We're not going to press into things that's not his timing or his way. We're going to have a humility that's there. It's a, a Jesus-centered approach. Would you join me in that little test there? I have another test, too, which is interesting, which is another way to apply. Some have suggested that you can, um, you can translate not uh, Jesus be cursed. You can translate it this way, Jesus be a curse to you. And so some scholars have suggested that in, in somewhat of their idolatry and their pagan worship, they were taking the spiritual power from the one true living God and using it as a curse rather than a blessing. And Paul is saying, nope, not in this life, not in the Christian life. We don't use it in that way. It's a blessing in fact, he says um, in Romans 12, 13, and 15, he says, Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. I do believe there is time when we, we join with what the God, Father is doing in terms of judgment but I would say that's a rare occasion that you have to feel that sense uh, of you've humbly processed that before the Lord. He says, in general, what we do as Christians is we bless. We do not curse. We walk in the Lord's blessing, right? That we, especially when we walk with those who oppose us, we pray for them, right? We, we love them. We have compassion for them. That's the Christian way. Spiritual power in the Christian faith is to bring blessing, forgiveness, love, and mercy. I've heard it articulated this way. To ask the question, if you're operating in a spiritual gift or you believe that you're operating in a spiritual gift, is to ask this question, is it loving? Is there a kindness in God? 
Is he wanting to use this as a blessing to the people? Sometimes it's hard love. Sometimes it's a hard word. It's a truth. But to always ask when we start operating in the gifts of the Spirit, is this loving? Is it a blessing? Can we do that? Okay. Look at verses 4. Four with me, and notice there's actually a Trinitarian language that Paul uses to set this foundation for the Corinthian church. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. That was a, a common phrase of how Jesus was referred to, right? He was Lord. They referred to Jesus, so it's a Really a reference to Jesus. Verse 6, there are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. That's how Paul most often referred to God the Father. Is he said God, Lord Jesus, and we've got Spirit. Interesting, he's talking about diversity of gifts and service and working, and he says, by the way, this is a Trinitarian affair. This is all the persons of the Trinity at work in you as a church. In other words, don't just be focused on one member of the Trinity or one aspect of gifts, service, and works, right? I have all of that for you. I have a, a mentor and a coach who goes around, he's... He's semi-retired now, but he's been a coach for churches and pastors and leaders. And he said, you know, Eric, I've realized that oftentimes you've got churches that are really reverent before God. They are God the Father churches. You've got the more charismatic churches that are focused on the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. And then you've got the real evangelical churches, which he works with most, that are focused on Jesus and sharing the love of Christ with others. And you know what my first thought was? I don't want to just be one out of the three. I, I want all of that, all that God has. I, I, I would love to, to walk. This is how Paul often communicates. He communicates in Trinitarian language that should say something to us. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is the language that Paul used. This was the emphasis of his ministry. He's inviting us to be Trinitarian Christians. Not that Trinity is in the Bible, it's not, but we understand that concept because of Paul's references like that. One way we do. Let me articulate it this way. My mom was a beautiful example, not just as a spirit-filled Christian. She had this beautiful reverence for the Father, which I love, right? She, she, she had this deep relationship with Jesus, and she would talk about her relationship with Jesus. And then, as I shared, she had gifts of the Spirit. And I didn't just want one of the three. 
She, she modeled it in such a way that there was a, a beauty there, and I longed for that. Would you join me as a church in pursuing all three? I got a few yes. How about yeah? Whatever God has for us, let's go after. Let's be mindful that the Corinthians were doing it really bad, right? Let's be mindful that throughout church history, in the name of the Spirit, Christians have done it really bad. That's okay. Let's be mindful of that. But don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Don't have contempt for the things of the Spirit simply because they've been exercised or practiced in really horrible ways. Another thing that Paul is going to emphasize in those verses 4 and 5, 6, is unity in the midst of diversity. Unity, you could say it this way, enhanced by diversity. 1 Corinthians 12, 12, we didn't get that far, but he's going to go into this long explanation and he's going to use this analogy of one body, many parts. Just as a body, the one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. One of the huge aspects of this Christian faith is that yes, we are given purposes and gifts and desires of our hearts by the Lord, right? We're, we're part of that discovery process as we're saying, what's that spot on the wall that God has for us? But we're doing that not as individual Christians. We have to sacrifice that independent mindset in the Western Christian world. We say, no, he has purposes with us in the body of Christ. That doesn't mean we don't fulfill some of those purposes outside the body of Christ. But it means that the body is walking, right? That God is on the move, that God is transforming this world, and that he wants this body of believers to be walking in his purposes. And then you find your gift, your skill, your calling, whether you're a finger or a nose or an eye or an ear, the idea is not how the Corinthians were using it like, look at me, I speak in tongues. Yeah, I'm pretty sweet. He's like, no, 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 no. It's actually to edify one another. And that's exactly how my mom was using it. She was using it one of her call, callings in life was a woman of intercession, was a woman of prayer. And she prayed for us kids. She, she prayed for the church. She prayed all sorts of things. And sometimes she would pray in the prayer language that I believe that God gave her to fulfill that particular call in her life. And we have different callings, and we shouldn't be like, well, hey, Josh has that, got that gift. I really wish I had that gift. He said, that leads to envy and jealousy. Don't do that. We are all one body, but we have different callings and, 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 and desires 
and hunger. I was talking with one individual who was really into uh, foster care and adoption. She says, I'm doing my part. I just wish the rest of the church would do their part. And I was like, uh, wait a second. You've got to be mindful that we all have callings. We all have gifts and desires. And our role as a body is to help one another discover that calling, that place on the wall, that skill, that heart desire, and those gifts. Yes? I'm going to hold back on sharing something because I didn't get permission, so I'm going to move on before I get in trouble. All right? Um, look at verse 7. I wanted to include verse 7 as well. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Now, each one and common good, I think that has an important point for us. Let me answer at least some of the questions. Is that when Paul says each one, Paul believes that no one is without a spiritual gift. Everyone has at least one gift. And I believe that gift is usually connected with your purpose, your role, your part of the body that you are. Okay? It's a matter of discovering that. That's why we like to say this phrase. I think it's Scott Reese's favorite phrase. What is it, Scott? Everyone gets to play. Everyone gets to play, right? No matter who you are, what your background is, the sin that you have in the past, the mistakes that you've made, the color of your skin, whether you're male or female, rich or poor, it does not matter. Everybody gets to play, yes? Everybody has a gift. Everybody has a calling. Everyone is known by Christ. Everyone has a purpose and desire of heart. That's how we get to walk with the Lord. No one, these people don't get, well, you get to be more intimate and more significant. No. God gifts all of us with these gifts and this calling and these purposes. He was saying in another gift place, Ephesians 4.11, to each one, but to each one of us, Grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. He's talking about grace, but there in that scripture, he's talking about gifts, not salvation. Oftentimes when we think of grace, we think of salvation grace. Amazing grace, how, right? We, we all came, but that's not what Paul is talking about. He's talking about what some have called serving grace. The grace that we are given to live with purpose and meaning within the kingdom of God. Now let me, in that context, reread that verse. He says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. He's saying, oh, I'm going to let her minister this way, grace to her. I, I'm going to let him do this and for grace, that, that spiritual gift, that calling, that longing. He's pouring out his grace, not just in terms of salvation, but in terms of service, in terms of meaning and purpose. 
Yes, can people use good gifts of God in bad and unhealthy ways? Let me answer that question. The answer is, unfortunately, yes. Let me take a a non-controversial gift such as teaching. Have you ever heard a really bad teacher that you go, ooh, that's not only off, but that might be doing some damage, right? I've heard that, and I pray against that, (laughs) but really anything under the sun, even if it's God's good gift, we can use it poorly and in an unhealthy way. Central to this idea is humility. Yes? That we have these gifts and we go, hey, I might get this wrong, but I want to live it this way. And then the last thing I'll just say in this by way of introduction is Paul uses a word that he only uses two times in his letters. And it's translated here, manifestation. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Manifestation, I've got the Greek word there for you, literally means an expression, an exhibition, or a demonstration of the Spirit's presence and power in the form of a gift. Now, he uses this also, 2 Corinthians 4, 2, he says, but we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. Is the word of God good? Yes. Can we handle it deceitfully? Unfortunately, yes. But by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So let me answer this question. Spiritual gifts are something different than skills. It's a a manifestation of the presence of God that we hear. Sometimes I've noticed it's mixed with a skill. Not always. Sometimes it's separate from any skill, but we're, we're trying to be mindful of that manifestation of God. Sometimes when you hear a singer sing, there's skill there, but there's an anointing of the Lord that just blesses you in that way, right? Sometimes when you hear a preacher preach, there's skill there, but there's an anointing of that. Sometimes when you're being prayed for, and that person can be gifted in prayer, and yet there's an anointing There's a manifestation of the Spirit. Sometimes when I hear wisdom shared, and you go, oh, that makes sense, that person's a wise person, yes. But sometimes that wisdom is a manifestation of the Spirit, and you go, oh, okay, that was the Lord right there. So as we begin to journey in this way, I want us to be mindful of we're saying, Lord, we want to walk humbly, thoughtfully, 
testing, but we're pursuing your manifestation, Holy Spirit. Yes? One last quote. If the worship team would like to, to come forward, some of you might think, Pastor, I've played with this fire in the past and I got burned. Are you sure you want to go down that road? I had one elder of our church say regarding this, if you hunt for bear, you might come across one. Are you ready? Right? And uh, I found this quote from a leader and he said this, while no man has succeeded without some spark of divine fire, he's talking about the church, many have succeeded better by taking precious good care of the precious small spark than others, who have been careless with a generous flame. I'm praying that God would pour out a generous flame for our congregation. But I want us, part of our calling as a church is to take precious good care of that generous flame that is poured out. Yes? So let's pray. So Lord, uh, it's easy to be overwhelmed the abundance that you give us for this life. That you would give us your, yourself, your, your very body and blood and your sacrifice at the communion and table that we might come to you and be nourished and refreshed and restored. That Father, you give us your word that, that you continue to speak and unfold and manifest your truth in our midst, Lord. Thank you, God. And Lord, thank you that you give us your spirit, even gifts of your spirit, that we might live our purpose, our meaning, our calling within your kingdom today. So Lord, we want to give this journey to you as a community of faith. Lord, Holy Spirit, would you disciple us in your gifts? Would you teach us how to walk and take precious care of the divine flame that you give us again and again? Amen. Let's stand and sing the doxology before we receive the benediction. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father 
and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. God bless you, and we'll see you next week. Seek